0: Please turn with me back uh, to the book of Genesis this evening and we're turning to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31 and picking up our reading at verse 1 and you'll find this on page 25 in the church Bibles in the chairs underneath. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days, and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your fathers spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours, and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. Laban uh, felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the ram of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sheep, uh, my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban uh, called it Jegar sahadutha but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judged between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. As mentioned, over the last number of weeks, we have been looking at uh, the life of Jacob. And we have been highlighting there's multiple reasons for doing that. Jacob is, after all, one of the patriarchs of the people of God. It is from Jacob that the twelve tribes are going to emerge and the formation of the people of God. And so if we're going to understand how God works through history, we need to understand the lives of the patriarchs. But it's also important for us to think about Jacob, because Jacob is teaching us something about God's dealings. Uh, What kind of people does God work with? What kind of people does God draw unto himself? And we've been highlighting that God deals with deceivers. God deals with schemers, God deals with sinners, that Jacob was no prized possession in terms of one that you might think as a fitting inheritor of God's promises, and yet there he is, one who receives the blessing of God. Even before Jacob was born, God's purposes were being declared, that the younger would be blessed, that God's blessing would be directed towards Jacob. And so part of understanding the life of faith is seeing that God's purposes shape and form and frame how believers live their lives, that God's purposes will prevail. And so the life of faith is really one of a confident expectation for God to do what he has said he was going to do. One of the things that God had promised uh, Jacob is, is that uh, that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth. And when Jacob had to ultimately leave and flee from his family in the land of Canaan, you remember that he went to the region of Padamaram. He went over six hundred kilometers north, and one of the reasons he went there was to marry one of the daughters of Laban, although he was deceived by his uncle. Uh, Jacob ultimately uh, found himself in a, uh, multiple marriages, which brought all kinds of trouble in his own personal life. Uh, Leah and Rachel both competing and uh, combating with one another because they longed for what they did not have. That Leah simply wanted and longed for the love of her husband, but that was denied her. Rachel longed for status, and that was something that she was always playing second fiddle to. And so these two sisters were really fighting it out between themselves. And that bred conflict in the family. But all the while, God's purposes were still advancing in all the mess of Jacob's life. The fighting between his wives, the deception by his uncle. God's purposes were prevailing. Jacob now has many children, and his family will grow, and already we're seeing a small beginning to the fulfillment of God's purposes, like the dust of the earth. But but Jacob's time in that region in the north is also marked not only by his marriages to Leah and to Rachel, it's also marked by his prosperity. And this evening we want to turn back uh, to these two chapters and we want to really think about uh, Jacob's his flowering of his own uh, wellness, his own success, but also the relationship between him and Laban and how this separation ultimately comes about, where Jacob would leave Laban and start his way back towards uh, the land of Canaan. Uh, And so this evening we want to see that because the Lord is faithful to protect his people, uh, we are to have our confidence in him. We want to think about uh, these verses in uh, a few different thoughts. We want to think about the division, the decision, and the defense. Uh, The division that comes between Jacob and Laban. The decision to leave and to, to go back to the land of Canaan. And then finally, the defense of Jacob from Laban. Well, first, uh, there is the division. It tells us there back in chapter 30 at verse 25 that as soon as Rachel had a son, she has her son Joseph, that Jacob is now itching to get back to the land of Canaan. He, He tells Laban that he wants to go, send me away that I might go back to my own country. Laban doesn't want that to happen. Uh, because Laban knows that he has been prospering ever since Jacob has come. And Laban even seems to use some flattery language here by saying it has been revealed to him through divination or through omens that the Lord has been blessing him uh, on account of Jacob. Jacob reacts by saying that this is not something you need to know by divination. Uh, It has been apparent ever since I came because you had little beforehand and you have been abundantly rich ever since. And so Laban says, simply name your wages. What is it that is that, is that you want? And so Jacob tells him uh, that he would separate a portion of the flock uh, that he might be able to provide for his own household, that he would uh, make that distinction that he might be able uh, to provide for his own family. And Jacob comes up with a, a, a good proposal in the sense that he suggests that all the spotted and the speckled and the, uh, um, uh, of the sheep and the goats and the black lambs would be his. There's a reason why Jacob is doing this, as it becomes clear throughout the text, uh, something that Jacob himself had seen in a dream. But in doing this, Jacob is also making a clear separation so that there is no way that he can be accused of stealing. Uh, that later on his integrity will not be undermined, that he robbed another or his family member in order to be blessed. And so Laban could never accuse him uh, of stealing. But more than that, Jacob's proposal was also something that was advantageous towards Laban, that uh, apparently sheep are normally white and goats uh, are going to be black or brown. Uh, But here, Jacob is requesting to take the irregular of the flock. The, the, the less likely outcome uh, in terms of physical traits and so uh, he is giving the, the upper hand to Laban uh, to have the majority seemingly of the flock and so Laban sees this as a, a fair deal and immediately agrees to it but before there's any time to debate what happens to the existing speckled and spotted uh, Laban already removes them and puts them under the care of his son and removes them three days distance away Once again, it looks like Laban has the upper hand on Jacob, Uh, because now where are these speckled and spotted uh, sheep going to come from Uh, if they have been removed from the flock? uh, And now it seems that Laban has once again uh, deceived and uh, got the upper hand on Jacob. Jacob must have known what uh, that he'd been tricked again, Uh, but in the end we're told that Jacob tries his own tactics to try to uh curb things in his own favor. It tells us there how, in verses 37 to the end, how he had this tactic where he would strip the poplar, the almond, and the plane trees so that the white of the tree would be seen. Uh, it seems evidently that it was a, uh, a belief that if you had uh, animals looking intensively at spots or stripes during conception or during pregnancy that what the animal sees would be replicated on the offspring. That's an unfounded notion, but it seems that Jacob was trying to entertain that to see if it would help. Uh, That, along with this selective breeding that Jacob was doing, was his own tactics of trying to bring about uh, this kind of result. And so you see these, these two men, these two deceivers, who are both still trying to curb things to their own favor. Laban simply strips away the spotted and the speckled so that really he would have a great uh, likelihood of having all the flock. And Jacob here is maneuvering things to the best that he knows how, trying to bring about what he hopes as well. There's nothing in that that's deceptive by Jacob, uh, but rather it is a weak attempt uh, to bring about the results that he desires. But And later on, Jacob would say, that he realized that it was not by his own ingenuity, but rather it was only by the Lord that uh, he prospered in the end. But it ends that chapter by saying, thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Jacob, in spite of everything that Laban was doing to him, that things were still turning out in his favor the Lord was still continuing to bless Jacob. And somehow the animals continued to be speckled and spotted. That, that Jacob's portion was growing all the while. And so it tells us that this division of the animals ultimately leads to a division in the relationship. You see in the beginning of chapter 31 that the sons of Laban begin to resent Jacob because they see what's happening. They see that Jacob is prospering and now their father has relatively less wealth than before. Things are getting worse for their family. And so they say he is, his wealth is really robbing our father. And so they begin to resent him. Laban as well is said to not regard Jacob as he once did. No longer does he receive Jacob as a son-in-law uh, and appreciate him but rather now he sees him as a competitor and one who is a liability. And we see how resentment uh, and division easily creeps into relationships where there's not an ability to rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, relationships can be easily divided when we cannot rejoice in other people's success. At the bottom line, that's what we're seeing in Laban and in Laban's sons. They can't delight In the fact that Jacob is doing well. And how often does that start to creep into our lives when we see other people prospering? The Lord blesses them. Whether it's in a career, whether it's in pay, or whether it's in health, or, or in something. And we begin to look at it and say, that's not right. I should be having that, not them. And that's what's happening. A family again is being splintered and divided. And they're being divided as they see how Jacob is being blessed, ultimately, uh, in God's providence. So there's a division, a division of the animals. But that division of the animals ultimately is leading to a division in the family where they resent Jacob. And so Jacob knows it's high time to get out of there. But it's not just a change in the mood. Uh, He's told even by the Lord that it's time now to return to the land of your fathers, to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so this decision to leave is one that comes uh, by the Lord's direction. Uh, It was now time to go. So Jacob calls together Rachel and Leah into the field and he tells them uh, that it is something that he wants to do. If he's going to return uh, to the land of Canaan, he needs his, his family to be on board. Uh, they need to understand why he is leaving. And so he explains to them uh, why, what his rationale is. And as one commentator says, this is actually one of the high points in Jacob's life. As Jacob explains himself to his wives here, he is not shying away from appealing to God in his rationale. He goes on to explain that God has been his helper, that, that Laban has treated him with, uh, with contempt. He has changed uh, his terms. He has been unfaithful. He's changed his wages many times. But through it all, God did not permit him to harm me. There's Jacob again appealing, this isn't about me getting the better of my, my father-in-law. This is, this is Jacob acknowledging God's sovereign protection over him. Jacob acknowledges that the Lord is the one who caused, uh, uh, brought forth the animals, and now it is the Lord who has told him to go back to Canaan. Uh, Jacob is appealing not just to the character of Laban as a grounds for a leaving, but to the appeal of God himself. Rachel and Leah here uh, agree to this testimony concerning their father, and they see the Lord's judgment coming upon their father for his unfaithfulness. And so while Laban is shearing the sheep, Jacob decides to secretly flee from Laban. So there's the the decision to leave. But there's also the decision that is made by Rachel. You notice that in verses 19 and following. It tells us that Rachel stole her father's household gods. Why does Rachel steal those gods? Uh, It's debatable. She may have had a religious motive for doing this. She may have been hedging her bets Uh, about which God she ultimately trusted. She may have also had a pragmatic reason for doing it. Uh, There are reasons to believe that having a household God increased your ability to lay claim to things like the inheritance. And so she may have been doing it again as a status claim uh, to be able to uh, appeal to the fact that the inheritance belongs rightly to her. But those two options really aren't so different. Because in either case, Rachel is taking these household gods as a sort of plan B. As a sort of plan B so that in following her husband to going back to the land of Canaan, according to the testimony and the instructions of the God of Abraham, Rachel is saying, if it doesn't work out, I have my plan B. I have my household gods that will get me through this. And so Rachel here is, is showing her loyalty is compromised. And how different she is from Rebecca before. You remember when Abraham's servant came looking for a wife for Isaac. They asked, will you go with this man? And it tells us that Rebecca was willing to leave everything and to go, to follow the, the, the will of uh, Abraham's servant and to marry Isaac. She committed herself to Isaac entirely and to Isaac's faith. But here's Rachel who is, is hedging, still clinging to those household gods even as she follows Jacob uh, away from uh, the land of Laban. And we can be so much like Rachel ourselves. That we can live our lives clinging to multiple idols to get us through. We can go in one direction and yet ultimately we're still clinging to something as our plan B. In case God doesn't pull through. That we're going to look to something else ultimately to help us. Agreeing to follow the Lord and yet still hoping, holding on to our idols in case things don't go as we planned. So we see division emerging here, division of animals, division in the family. We see decisions being made. Jacob decides to flee, uh, to do it secretly. We see a decision by Rachel uh, to cling to her household gods. But ultimately, all of this is leading to a defense. Because it tells us that when uh, Laban was out shearing the sheep, that Jacob takes off. And it tells us that when Laban hears about it, this is in verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had left, he gathers his kinsmen, he gathers his wider family, and then charges after him for seven days. To say that Laban is hot is an understatement. This, this is the description of an army on, on route to defeat an enemy. And so it tells us that he is coming after Jacob. And as he does so, it is with every intent purpose of claiming control over the situation. But before he gets to Jacob, God meets him in a, uh, one night. And tells him, do not say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban ultimately restrains himself when he does meet up with Jacob. He tells him that it was even expresses his hostility. He says it's in my power to do you harm. And yet he appeals to the fact that God had spoken to him. And so he rebukes Jacob for being so foolish as to flee uh, in the way that he did. Jacob Defends himself, saying that he did it because he was afraid of his daughters, uh, his wives being taken by force. But Laban then shifts the focus and he says, why did you steal away the household gods? Again, Rachel stole those household gods. But this is really a question about the integrity of Jacob. He's accusing Jacob of stealing. He's accusing Jacob of doing what was foolish. And so Jacob here appeals to the fact Whoever stole the the idols ought to be put to death. But Jacob didn't know that Rachel was the one who had taken them. Ultimately, Laban can't find the idols, and in the end, he's deceived by his own daughter. But when Jacob realizes what has happened, he then lashes out at Laban uh, in anger and goes on a rampage over all the wrongs that Laban has done to him. And again, notice in verse 42 how he talks. He says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Jacob was confessing that God had protected him from the clutches of Laban, and had prevented Laban from carrying out his intention to harm him. What are we to make of this whole incident, this whole 20-year span in Jacob's life? It's this. God protected him from the grip of those who would have controlled him. God protected him from the oppression of his own uncle. And although it was Laban's intention to crush him. The Lord had purpose to bless him. And that's what Jacob is confessing here. The way you have treated me for these past 20 years was oppressive. But God was watching over me and said no more. And so here is Jacob confessing the fact that God had swore to protect him. God had promised to protect Jacob. You remember the Lord had said, I will be with you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to the land of Canaan. The Lord's presence surrounded Jacob. And here Jacob is acknowledging that protection over him. But God's protection wasn't something only for Jacob. It was also for the people of Jacob. And it was for the people of Jacob, even when they were meeting with God's judgment. Later on in Scripture, even when the people of God are facing God's anger over their sins, they're still being directed to look to God as their protector, ultimately for deliverance. And so we turned, for instance, to Isaiah, and it says, But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The people who are going to face the fire in the waters of God's judgment are now being told that God will be with them when they pass through those waters, that God will protect them ultimately, who look to him in faith. And so God's protection not only shapes Jacob's life, The people of God are to look back on Jacob and to see God is a God who protects his own. He protects his people. And he has promised to protect all those of Jacob's faith. And so people are encouraged here to look to the Lord and his purposes. In Israel's history, they were promised that they would not be wiped out. But the Lord would fulfill his purposes with the offspring of Jacob. And ultimately the Messiah would come from the line of Jacob. You think about Jesus's life from his infancy, it's marked by protection. Herod wants to kill all the male children in Bethlehem, but God protects his servant in order to accomplish his purposes. And the same is true of all the believers in Jesus Christ, that there are many things that would like to destroy Jesus's people And yet God's word teaches us that God will keep them from stumbling and that he will present them before his glory and great joy. So there are many things that would threaten to swallow us up. There are many things that would seek to bring us down, namely our sins, namely the condemning sentence of the law. And yet God protects his people who are trusting in him. And that is to shape and to frame the life of faith. God's protection then prevents even what the law would try to do, which would be to condemn them. God intervenes and sets up a wall of protection. The Lord is on the side of his people. And so they can be delivered from the danger of sin. Just as Jacob could trust in the Lord to bring him back safely to the land of Canaan, so all those who trust in the Lord Jesus uh, can trust that the Lord will bring them to their eternal dwelling place, even though they face much hardships. So there's the defense that Jacob confesses here about the Lord. The Lord protected me from, from harm. You intended to crush me, but the Lord did not permit it. But there's also the defense from the Lord as something that was confirmed. At the end of this chapter, you notice that uh, there is a a heap, uh, a witness, a pillar that is being set up. Stones that are put in place. That heap is meant to serve as a symbol, to call attention uh, to this covenant that is being entered into. The covenant is uh, binding Jacob not to take any other wives, not to mistreat uh, the daughters of Laban. But it is more than that. It is actually separating these two. It is establishing that what Jacob has is his. And he can't be accused of stealing. But it's also causing a wall that neither would cross over to do harm to the other. And so this heap of witness is something that is meant to serve as a standing testimony. And you'll notice as well that this witness is also something that you see a difference between these two individuals. Laban proposes this covenant. And in verses 51 and following, he appeals to the God of Abraham and the the God of Nahor. Uh, He says, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, that is Abraham's brother, uh, the God of their father, judge between us. You see, Laban was willing to appeal uh, to the divine being as a as a form of oath. In a vague sense, whether he's equating the God of Abraham or the God of Nahor, or whether he's appealing to two gods is not exactly clear. But what he is doing is he is appealing here uh, to the gods uh, as a way of bringing this matter to closure. Uh, but. Jacob answers differently. Jacob doesn't enter into that covenant on the same terms. Instead, it tells us, so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Why does Jacob swear that way? The answer is because there was a time in history when Abraham worshipped other gods. That Abraham's family worshipped other gods, as it tells us in Joshua They were moon worshippers. And there is a continuity in that. And so there's ambiguity in simply appealing to the God of Abraham in front of Laban, who comes from the line of Nahor. And so Jacob here is not satisfied with simply saying the God of Abraham, he appeals to Abraham's son, who never worshipped the moon gods. He appeals to Abraham's son, Isaac, the one who reverenced the Lord and who understood that God's blessings passed through the line of Isaac. He swore by the fear of Isaac because Isaac is the one through whom we see God's purposes of a great sacrifice that would be made. Jacob appeals much more particularly when he speaks about God. And I think there is a lesson in that because although, although cultural Christianity is on the, on the decline, as Christianity becomes less in vogue, there is, still, there is still a tendency for cultural Christianity to show itself when people appeal to God for oaths, when people get married, when people go to funerals, then they can appeal to God. And you may be someone who is willing to uh, talk about God, someone that is willing to appeal to God when it's convenient, the God of your grandparents. But can you get any more particular than that? Can you get any more personal than my grandfather's God, my grandmother's God. Can you speak knowingly about the God who is? Jacob's language pushes further than what Laban was willing to do because he's acting on more knowledge. And so it's not enough to have just a vague idea of the God. Let's just appeal to a higher power as a form of making covenants. But rather, before whom do we live? And when Jacob says the fear of Isaac, he's not only identifying the true God, he's identifying that God by whom he swears as his God. Jacob is identifying where he stands even as he makes this oath with Laban. And so this division in the family is no doubt a heart-wrenching one in real-life history. The division of animals, but more importantly, the tearing of relationships apart. They will have a pillar to keep them apart so that there is no fighting. But when Jacob sets up this witness... It is a witness to the fear of Isaac so that there is no ambiguity. Can you appeal to the God who's revealed himself in Jesus specifically to shape the way that you live your life? Because when Jacob talks about his defense, that's how he talks. The God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac protected me from you. And so we see this defense of the Lord actually working itself out. That the Lord ultimately delivers Jacob from Laban. Laban arose after he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters. He blessed them and then he departed and returned home. Never again does Jacob plan to cross that witness. Jacob is not intending to go back. And through those 20 years, the Lord has protected him. Because the Lord's purposes prevail. That's the life of faith. It's framed by an understanding that God's purposes will prevail. God will protect his own. And God's protection is seen in Jesus Christ. That the cross is like that witness. That is a clear dividing line. There is no going back. If you have been crucified with Christ, then you can no longer live in sin. But if you have been crucified in Christ, then you are protected by God's grace. The cross is our protection. The Lord Jesus is our protection. And outside of Christ, we're exposed to everything that the law says, the condemning sentence of God's judgment. Are you trusting in God's protection to shape the way that you live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about Jacob and all the mess of his own life, we pray, Lord, that we would see through it all your hand of grace to see not only how you were blessing uh, a sinner, how you were working through a messy situation, but to see how you were protecting him, even from those around him that sought to do him harm. Lord, we pray that we would see that the life of faith is one in which there are many struggles, where there are many things that would seek to overthrow us, but we pray, Lord, that our confidence would rest in our God, who will not allow his purposes to be thwarted. So bless us, we pray, and help us to believe that you who begin a good work in your people will bring it about to completion. Help us, Lord, to trust that you will cause those who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus ultimately to see his glory uh, where he has gone to prepare a place for his people. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.